0: Hello, my name is Declan Dineen welcome to Checkpoints. This is a show about video games, the people who play them and the people who make them. Each episode of guests on the show talks about the games that have shaped their life in one way or another games that have inspired them games that have forged connections and games that have soothed wounds my guest on today's show is ori takamura um or takamura ori until i discovered um either way around is fine and since i called him ori through the majority of the show i think i'm going to stick with ori takamura uh, also that isn't his name uh, his name is ori takamura that is not his real name that's a, a very niche postmodernist literary reference for all the ultra nerds. Um yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a pen name. Um despite how how he how he sounds or how his name sounds rather um or he's actually Russian um and has just amazing, amazing so like right out of the gate, amazing stories of growing up with video games in russia and why he decided to use a pen name and oh he's he's a wonderful fascinating um chat i really enjoyed it he's also i mean i don't know if there's any design nerds on here but he's he's been nominated and has won i think a bunch of design awards he made a incredible looking um watch and tv stands and all sorts of cool stuff and just over the last couple of years he's he started working in games and releasing a few beautiful little um mobile games and and we'll get into all that it's a really fantastic chat um, and Ori is one of like the first people. um Well, let, let's go back a bit, right? A common thread that comes up in the show a lot when I speak to people is how, in in the present day, there is just so much stuff. You know, there there is such a, a wealth of brilliant content being created. It's impossible to know, you know, where to look or, or what to look at, and and i'm i'm always worried i'm missing gems because because of this because you know discoverability is one of the the hardest things so i've made a kind of point to try and speak to kind of developers and creators who who may not be as widely recognized as, as some of the other people that i speak to um and and also to try and get like a varied kind of cultural viewpoint as well so um and and it's 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 proving to be amazing like Ori was a wonderful fascinating amazing guest um and i spoke to i recently recorded an episode with uh, rami ismail which will be up in a, in a couple of weeks i suppose and he he was talking about the same thing of like he goes to all these conferences all around the the world because he wants to sort of support these these sort of smaller gaming communities in countries where you wouldn't necessarily associate with uh, with video games i mean you think of russia you think of you know you think of tetris um and and not much else so maybe you do maybe you do maybe i'm um, maybe uh I'm putting my own uh, prejudices on you. Anyway, it, it was a, it's, a, it's a really excellent chat. I think you're going to really enjoy it. Um, as always, if you uh, want to get in touch with the show, you can email. It's checkpointspodcast at gmail.com. It's also forward slash checkpointspodcast on Facebook and at checkpoints show on Twitter. It's very important to have consistent branding. Uh, you can also uh, see information about the show at patreon.com forward slash checkpoints where you can also uh, donate and um, patronize the show uh, as, as much or as little as you would like. Um, it is super appreciated. I'm trying not to push it too hard because it, this is, my goal isn't to make a bunch of money out of this show. It's, it's, just a, it's purely to cover my costs, cover the hosting costs and things. Um, so if you've got a spare few quid, you enjoy the show, I would uh, be forever grateful. If you don't, as always, tell a friend all that stuff. I'm kind of—I've gone off telling people about iTunes because somebody—somebody uh, somebody on a forum said, "Why do people? Uh, why do people care so much about uh, iTunes ratings and reviews?" And I didn't have a good answer, other than everybody kind of cares. I mean, I did. I had a couple of answers. Like one of them is kind of, um, you know, it's one of the top searches. If someone searches for the show, you'll see the iTunes uh, page. So you know, it's gonna. Um, it'll make the show look better if people review it and and rate it highly. And um, whether or not it actually helps get new listeners, I'm not I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, I listen to tons of podcasts. I never scroll through new and noteworthy on iTunes to decide for a new one. All of my podcasts are based on personal recommendations and, and recommendations online and people tweeting about shows. Uh so so ignore iTunes. <laughs> Despite, you know, 18 months of me telling you to do that. Just tell a friend, just tweet about the show. Uh, make people aware of it it's all hugely appreciated um okay i'll be back next week with a new episode and a new guest thanks as always for listening you're all wonderful and beautiful um let's get on with the show
1: you, you asked me how's it going i, I think uh, we're kind of in a in a stage of uh um, cooling down period after the, uh, the Google, um, play store promotion of Shapist, And, uh, uh it, it's a big weekend coming ahead because, uh, Singapore is celebrating a national uh, holiday on Tuesday. Okay. So a lot of, a lot of people take like Fridays and Mondays off as well. So it's like, uh, you know, long five days or four days. I'm having four days kind of off my daytime job. Um, that sounds uh, good. Yeah. That's
0: that's always exciting—the big summer holiday. Yeah. And you—you you mentioned the the stuff with the Google Sun and the I'm I'm sure we will we will come to that. Um, but let's do let's do like a formal introduction for the purposes of uh, of editing it together. So Ori, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, if you if you don't mind, would you introduce yourself?
1: Sure. Uh, so uh, my name is Takimura Ori. Um, I am. Oh a no, very got long way
0: rains. Sorry. What? Why? I just realised I've been saying your name the wrong way around.
1: Really? I've just been calling get... you Ori.
0: I thought that was your first you... name. No, it is a first name.
1: You can shift it any way you want. Really, uh, it's it's it is actually a pen name. Ah. Uh, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not Japanese. Uh, I'm using this name for ten years. Um, I'm really honoured to be on the show. Uh, I guess formally, I am a uh, user experience design director at Malinlo Lo Profero Singapore, which is a, a big digital agency. Okay. Uh, I'm also a founder and a creative part of kicks and Pit design and uh, that's on um, my uh, my company name under which I I make games
0: um, I am fascinated so, yeah, really... by the by the name change you you've <laughs> piqued my interest with that name. Where, where did that come from? Um, so it happened ten
1: years ago exactly um, in Russia. So I, I'm Russian born um, With uh, Hungarian roots. Okay um, born in Moscow Um so 10 years ago, I was informed that one of my design concepts uh, would be awarded a, a Red Dot, red dot uh, product design award, which uh, I, I felt was a prestigious thing. Um, it's a German design award okay. for in, industrial designs. So so my thing was like a TV set. Um, and I really did not want to be associated with, with Russia um, because I, I think for... Russian uh, design industry, those European awards were kind of uh, uh, very highly uh, ranked and usually people would start issuing press releases and, and, and all that, and press would pick it up as well, you know, they'd be like yeah. those three designers from Russia that got those awards this year. And I really did not want to be on that list uh, because I felt that I did not represent Russia in any way and my design was very much Japan inspired. Um, so I chose a pen name at that moment, I contacted the organizers of the award. They said it was fine to use, uh, you know, any name I wanted, uh, and I stuck with it for for ten years. It, it's going pretty well.
0: <laughs> That's that is. This is already the most international show we've done. There's been so many uh, amazing stories from amazing countries. So why, why would you not want to be associated with Russia? Is that just like a political thing or a personal thing? Uh, definitely
1: not political. Uh, it, it was it was pretty much personal. Uh, Growing in Russia, so I grew in Moscow. Uh, it, it's a really big multicultural metropolis, but yeah. I, I felt that uh, I, I never felt at home there. Like I never felt connected to yeah. heritage or culture. Uh, later, when when I started analyze that, like why 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 did I have that kind of almost Russophobic uh, tensions in in me? Uh, I think I realized that I was born in 1985 uh, almost like in a cultural crack when Soviet Union ceased to exist. Um, Russia was kind of uh, trying to find its new identity. And then the Western culture flooded the, uh, you know, the uh, the data environment around people. And for me, I was very much imp- like impressed by American culture, I grew up with MTV and Beavis and Butthead. Uh, and and I think I kind of got detached from from Russian uh, background. Uh, yeah. So so that's why I didn't. I really did not want to be falsely kind of identified with uh, with Russia. And I, I felt that uh, I speak Japanese. I I've been studying Japanese. I my one of my educations is a linguistics. So so I felt very comfortable saying that you know if you want to put me into kind of that framework of. Nationality, which is absurd right <laughs> but if you do then probably if you judge by influences that would be either very western or japanese and i, I just chose japanese name that is super um, interesting
0: um so like you were talking about all this the, the kind of western sort of culture flooding in especially things like like mtv and people's and bed mm-hmm. i'm i'm curious was there ever like a russian equivalence like did they or was it just like they weren't prepared for that kind of influx of culture? Were they kind of like hip Russians sort of teenage focus or adolescent focus TV and things? So it's
1: it's either I I was absolutely like uh, <laughs> unaware of those. OK. <laughs> right. So, so so maybe some Russian listeners would be like, oh, my God, he, he just doesn't know what he's talking about. But <laughs> for me personally, I've never seen anything that would try to kind of counterbalance it and uh I, I think government did realize it as a, as a potential threat, right? Um, Absolutely. Like, uh, but but it, they were not prepared. There was not even proper production forces to, let's say, battle uh, Hollywood uh, influence or uh, McDonald's influence. You know? So basically, they, were, they would be like five years late to the game in all those mainstream industries that kind of form your identity as a kid. From bubble gums to uh, you know fast food to movies
0: absolutely yeah
1: uh, yes so so I would say no uh they weren't but but there were something from Soviet Union that some kids uh they, they appreciated very much and they they took it kind of very um close to heart, maybe due to to parents' influence uh and I did not right there, there were Soviet Union cartoons, for example, that i didn't like uh but some people did love uh. So that's that's where that dichotomy happened, I think, and that that's why I, I always felt that uh, probably my trajectory would be uh, somewhere outside of of Russia uh, in the future, and that that's how it ended up being in uh, in reality as well.
0: That is that is super interesting. Well, I'm I'm quite interested to hear the 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 first question, the answer to the first question, which is um, if you can remember, what was your first experience of a video game?
1: So I definitely can remember, and uh, for me it was. Too competitive, I think. Game platforms. So, uh, my father brought an at Atari 2600 from somewhere like Poland or Germany. Okay. Uh, and I'm not sure, so. I've never seen other Atari's 2600. I know that mine had all possible games in it already. So it either was hacked because I don't think it
0: was. I think that's definitely yeah, hacked. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah so <laughs> it, it was hacked. It had like 100 games in it. Um, and at the same time, Tetris. And in mm-hmm. Russia, Tetris um, in those like so it was like 90s, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was like five, six year old. Uh, if you would say Tetris, that would mean a standalone hardware. With the Tetris game on it, with like passive matrix LCD display. So it, it was a handheld, <laughs> uh, absolutely non branded. They would just say Tetris, and you know, it was like the plasticky thing with three buttons. And was this before
0: um, like sort of Nintendo kind of co opted it and brought it out for the, the Game Boy and stuff?
1: Yeah, absolutely, yes. So Game Boy was at least three years after that, or four. Um, everything came kind of later. Um I, I'm not sure if there was any licensing process for consoles but uh it was hard to get uh yeah m- yes so so definitely but but for me it was Atari and uh that thing very fast lost its novelty uh for, for me it was not attractive uh so it was just somewhere there dusty in a corner uh Game Boy, uh, Game Boy was, was much later. Tetris was, was kind of fun, and sometimes those would come with Tetris and some, some very simple racing game where basically you would race a, a tetra, Tetris kind of a block <laughs> that, that looked like a you know a pointy shape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so so that was that, that was pretty uh, pretty entertaining. Uh, and then there, there was a gap for a few years, I think, and, and then I got uh, I got Sega Mega Drive.
0: But was there a big? um, uh, Were games a big part of like the growing up in Russia? Were they were they everywhere, or were they kind of quite a rare thing? Or
1: Uh, they they definitely were a big part. Uh, So I know that while I was enjoying Sega Mega Drive, some of my friends had like Intel. What is it? Four hundred eighty-six. Right. Four hundred eighty-six base. Oh, the PCs, yeah. Yeah, the PCs. So they would play. Some racing game on motorcycles. I I remember those. I do remember Scourged Earth is just your your recent podcast You you got mentioned Scourged Earth. Yeah, Uh, so they were playing that I got I got into PC games much later so for me and kind of my my surroundings in terms of uh, Social Mm -hmm. circle people were playing Nintendo games. So there was like Nintendo home system pre uh, uh, super nintendo and i had sega mega drive sega mega drive was much more expensive in russia and much more much more rarer to to come along so so mostly people would play like first marios and i would play sonic
0: okay and did you were you um quite tribal about that were you very like my my machine is the best did you have those kind of arguments in school
1: Absolutely yes. Uh,
0: there, were, <laughs> yeah, there, there
1: were even some TV shows covering games. And I think uh, if, even the hosts of those TV shows, so it would be like cable TV, and they would review a couple games once a week. It was like that 15 minute long video uh, TV program that all the kids were waiting for and then discussing. And uh, obviously, I, I don't remember any games being ported in between. So I, I think it was all uh, exclusive titles, right? So they would always compare like um, side scroller games saying that, you know, Sega Mega Drive is almost like 16 bits. Um, but then they were slowly coming, the, the new generation consoles were slowly coming into into the market. So I think there was this frustration of what is true 16 bit, what is 8 bit, what is like uh, Panasonic 3DO, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there was—I'm very sure there was no official distribution, or if it, if there was, it was very badly managed because it, it, it was absolute chaos. <laughs> you know, uh, with with like incompatible system with uh, a PAL versus NTSC or something, where you know cartridge from Europe would not work. Um, but, so but you I do get remember... some sort of
0: machines from kind of all over the world, and they wouldn't all necessarily work together, basically.
1: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And there was there was never a, a Russian like a, a localized version of anything. It was all English, or I, I guess some people got hang on uh, on Japanese versions, but mine was everything in English. Um, but it was fun, yeah, and, and I, I remember later, of course, uh, some some kids would have PCs, so there would be first Pentium generation, and they, they would, you know, they, they, it would, this endless flame wars of, you know, whose system is, is more capable of performing voxel graphics. So, <laughs> uh, it, it,
0: yeah, it, it was really fun. So did you, I mean, I'm assuming you would have learned English from quite a young age then, or, or did you just not care about the sort of, because there wasn't exa- exactly a lot of story in these games. It wouldn't necessarily matter if they weren't localized.
1: Uh, my, my parents felt a very strong need that I would go a uh, as, into a school that had English as, as one of the like uh, important curriculum parts because in Russia it is considered a secondary curriculum and it's not English. You can be French or German. Yeah. Uh, so, but the school I went to English was part of the, um, a primary, uh, curriculum. So it was a lot of hours per week. And uh, so I, so I started kind of studying English in school since the age of seven. Uh, and that is, I actually got sega mega drive exactly same time as i went to school because i do remember my father saying that I, you know that would probably cannibalize the the school time hopefully just for a few months <laughs> and that was not the case it just lasted <laughs> for the whole for the whole school 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 period i absolutely sacrificed school in order to play video games
0: what did your parents think of games did they play at all or was it just like a, a sort of toy for you Um, they they were kind of supportive. I I think my, my parents had a very weird, um,
1: so I I was the only child in family and, uh, my, my parents had a very weird kind of impression of how should I treat school system? Because very often they would let me stay at home and play video games for like a month or two, (laughs) which, which was surprising, right? Yeah. Yeah. I would would think of it. And that would involve, of course, you know, bribing like, uh, a doctor in the in the local hospital so they would issue me a uh, a document saying that i was
0: very badly sick and that that really you know continued for years <laughs> wait wait uh, so your pay you you would say right i'm gonna stay home this month and play mega drive and your parents yes. would bribe a doctor to get a sick note so you wouldn't have to go to school that's correct that yes, is that's insane
1: um <laughs> Yeah, but, but that's that's what used to happen. Sometimes it would be a week-long thing, you know. Uh, it, it's like, of course, let, let's say there, there would be a test coming over and uh, on Friday. So on Thursday, I'd be like, oh, I really don't want to go there because I, I, I would get a bad mark on a test. And I think there was a loophole in the system which is like, well, if you get a bad mark in a test, that affects your performance, right? Yeah. But if you get a medical document saying that you were incapable of perform At school during the test time that thing just disappears from the system like (laughs) you know (laughs) like you don't have to tag take that test again all you need to do is get prepared for the next part of curriculum for the next test and then you get average score so for example if a kid who had to go to school every single day he would have five tests and his average would be you know those five scores divided on five yeah. but i would just take two tests and if i would get two a's even though that i would skip three tests and <laughs> even though I, yeah i would i would still get a as a as a result so maybe maybe that was the reason why why my my parents felt okay about letting me slide and play video games yeah you're
0: gaming the system <laughs> straight away <laughs> yeah but did yeah, you? Was, did you? Was this because, like, either did you? Let me, let me rephrase that. Did you just really not like school, or did you just really love video games, or is it a combination of the two?
1: It's, it's both. Right. I really hated it at school, so I I could never find motivation to do classes that were out of my interest. Kind of uh, okay. So so like let's say literature or history, I loved those, so I would do homework and stuff. And then math was was challenging from like, from the very, right after like, uh, calcium, right. Uh, and like algebra, uh, once it got into like sinus functions and stuff like that and roots, uh, I, I instantly lost interest. So, you know, I, I, didn't even try. I'm like that's you know, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I don't understand how this ties into my value system in, in later in life. So I don't even know what <laughs> that future thing is. So, you know, screw that video games yay that kind of yeah <laughs> and did you have like
0: a, a a kind of a friend group that built around video games um
1: like yes were they considered no. were
0: they considered as like uh, growing up for me video games were very much like a you know a kind of nerdy niche pursuit like was it still like that when you were growing up or was it just everybody into games or
1: I think it was it was like that. There were some kids doing sports. There were some kids just focusing on school and you know grades. Uh, by that time, I did graduate to PCs. I'm saying graduate because um, th- there was like a gap where I got Panasonic 3DO. It backfired on me because the game collection was like three games in 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 Russia, <laughs> right?
0: So I, think I, I you're sold the first it. guest that had a 3DO. That, that's that's <laughs> right. quite an achievement. <laughs>
1: right and uh so that was kind of like i i got so i sold it and i got super nintendo right w- which was weird because 3 do was a more powerful system yeah right? um but but the game game library was much broader for super nintendo and so i got some some hit titles like zelda and uh maybe super mario um and doom <laughs> for for some reason because because i really loved to 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 experience new kind of uh the uh new new type of graphics i guess and it was the first first thing available on on super nintendo i i had Uh, for the
0: super nintendo as well i loved it i loved it yeah it it, it was great and then it it
1: was kind of a like logical evolution would be i guess sega saturn or something or, or playstation right yeah um and I did not go into those. So I had this kind of a dragging period where maybe I lost six months of, or, or a year of non upgrading, like not really, um, going with the s- stream, you know, of, of people upgrading their systems. And then I got my first PC. Um, and then once I got my first PC, then, then I, I joined that, um, circle of, of friends playing, uh, command and conquer. and that was like really big in school like competitively
0: or just um i mean yeah. Like just, we,
1: we, uh, uh, yeah obsessively like just obsessively in terms of like units and strategies and yeah.
0: who who
1: went to which level and y- y- you know what kind of strategies they love and, and then also playing at the uh, computer clubs which would be uh, just local network with computers and uh, in the, like a in a basement um and mostly people would play either quake 2 uh, or uh, Command and Conquer, or or maybe GTA Two came a bit later, but uh, it was also popular. So it was kind of those three.
0: That that must be quite weird though, because like, uh, just as you mentioned Command and Conquer, there, and you're growing up in in Russia, like Command and Conquer Red Alert, the the bad guys were the Russians, and I imagine probably yes. in a lot of kind of thinking back to like a lot of eighties. Mega Drive games and arcade games, they would often, they'd often be like the Russians are the bad guys. We have to beat the Russians. Like, was that a bit weird? That must have been quite strange.
1: I've never had any problems with that. It, it's not just me because, you, you know, like, I, as I explained, right, I had this kind of uh, prejudice against Russia and uh, yeah. my surrounding. Uh, but I've never heard any... Any complaints from my friends? Anyone saying that, like, oh, you know, this is a propaganda in the form of video game, and they're marking us, or or anything? Uh, I think people really enjoyed the the, the English sounds for the uh, Command and Conquer, the the Red Alert 2, where you get like Yuri's Revenge and uh, <laughs> uh, all the like Tesla coil troopers and and all that. Uh, people loved that. They they would like. Um, making the impressions of those of those units, uh, making making those voices. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's it's weird because the the Russian accent there was like so distinctively um, like like a, a it, it was a it was a humor element right in the game. But yeah. but I think people still enjoyed it in in a way that like that's how we speak English. Yeah, because majority do speak like that.
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe that's the reason. But I, mean, I just I'm just thinking like would would you play that i mean the game is sort of set up to be like okay we're the european forces and we're going to take out these evil uh evil soviets and but would you sort of take on that role or would you be like well i'm going to be the soviets i'm going to show them who's boss you know what i mean
1: yeah i, I think absolutely some people did feel uh, actually positive about that element that they can be like an aggressor and uh Uh, Win the game and uh, you know capture all the world or all the territory. So uh, yeah Yeah, I I think that that element was uh, satisfying for some I don't remember. I I did play uh, both sides But I did I did love to play uh, Soviet Union in in Command and Conquer like Red Alert 2 just because Yuri could capture uh, Civil units like cars. I I really loved that element. Uh, I, I actually just really enjoyed the sandbox in like sandbox components yeah. in those games uh I, I i usually would lose in uh in land battles because i would i would spend too much time building fences about uh, around my base <laughs> <laughs> so, you know which was very strategically bad decision but um i i would just like really indulge in uh like a, a garden design kind of element exactly
0: yeah that's the designer in you taking over you just want to make it look really good yes yes exactly <laughs> So th- were you ever thinking about working in games? Was that something you were like, were you aware of kind of uh, the wider video game world? Like would, have there, would there have been magazines and things? Um,
1: so we, well, I mean, we did have magazines. Uh, my, my father would bring some magazines from Poland. And then uh, later, once, once I, I got my PC, uh, also first Russian magazines covering video games would, would show up you know, and I think PC, PC magazines were much, uh, kind of more successful than console magazines, yeah. probably because, probably because PC games were easier to pirate. So that would, you know, you would still want to read about games, right? But you wouldn't pay for games, you'd pay for magazine. Yeah. Uh, while for consoles, I guess pirating were, were kind of a more challenging thing to do. So, uh, less people would, would actually have access to console games, but well, I did make my first game when I was fifteen years old. Uh, I, I I used uh, Borland C plus plus, and uh, it was like tic tac toe variation of tic tac toe, and and then I tried to do some point and click guest like quest games uh, as well, uh, just to to try software. I guess it's yeah. I was I was kind of yeah I was very impressed by. Uh, drag and drop and and being able to write simple code and and you know get something like a button show you a picture and then uh, you know you can make that picture into like a sprite sheet and uh, and and have like a small animation like an explosion on on, uh on a button click i I was just fascinated with those uh
0: that's quite interesting you learned to code quite young though because you said you had such a um an aversion to maths
1: yeah, and that's why I actually really hated coding later in, in career. Like I tried, to, I tried to escape that responsibility okay. as fast <laughs> as possible. <laughs> uh, so, so because I, I kind of uh, I dropped out, I dropped out of, of linguistic university later and uh, I started my own career uh, in design by, by doing websites. And uh, that's where I try to kind of uh, hire developers as early as possible in in that journey, because I really hated the coding in in terms of like that, yeah. Uh, when it's harder than uh, making a button uh, to show an image, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but as for the game career, I think uh, for me there, there's like a, a three touch points in uh, in my life with games where. I appreciated the medium in different ways, right? So the first one would be uh, the the Atari and, and just kind of a first exposure, right? And and, and that was not very exciting. There was just something very kind of a you know something that would you maybe think, oh, should I watch a movie or should I play that thing? And probably the movie is more entertaining. Yeah. Uh, and then and then the second touch point is that period of kind of Sega to first. PC games like Blood and uh, maybe Commandos or Kermaqadon, where I would just enjoy the entertainment element. I, I was never thinking of games as a serious medium back then. I, I was just like you know explosions and blood, uh, c- kind of all, all very visceral stimuli was was interesting for me as a kid, yeah. and and that me being maybe like fifteen year old, uh, and that so during that time I never thought like. I want to be a you know a guy who makes those. I tried making them when when I was trying to do C but it wasn't like career thing. Uh, and then later, like much later, maybe eight years ago, uh, I, I experienced like a third touch point where where I realized that games are extremely awesome medium if you are passionate about design. Uh, and, and from that that point on, I, I, I got kind of very seriously interested in um making games either part of my career or maybe a big part of my career so so that's kind of uh, i guess that's how the transformation happened
0: Rob, well we're, we're going to come back to that because that's that's quite interesting so i'm assuming then when you went to sort of university and things you you weren't thinking about making games but did you continue playing games like through university and things
1: yeah i did i did uh i was Purely PC person by then, uh, okay. and yeah, I would use my my computer for. Ch- so my my web design career started as as like small freelance thing first while while I was trying to do linguistics, uh, and and then I realized that probably I should focus on that rather than you know finishing my link like BA in linguistics or whatever. Uh, what was so, the lingu- so why
0: why study linguistics? Was that just something you were quite interested in?
1: Yeah, I. Well, I was interested in Japanese culture. And so, so when I graduated high school, what I had as a, as a, as a like my luggage of knowledge was a, a very good uh, proficiency in English and and then uh, like a love towards humanitarian sciences like the history and literature and absolute lack of math, which meant that I could not s- you know consider degrees like economics uh, Yeah, <laughs> right because yeah, I would definitely fail uh, <laughs> at, at the entrance exams. Um, you can't
0: call in sick for a month in in your degree
1: Right, so so I was kind of torn in between should I pursue a creative career, but I I didn't have any Creative skills like I was trying to do photography, but I, I couldn't draw for example I um, so I was like, yeah, I love computer and everything that, you know, I can assemble computer myself from like parts or I could code a simple thing, but I, I don't know what, I, what exactly to do with it. Uh, and again, if, if I were to pursue a, a degree in computer science, I needed a math, right? So that was yeah, a no, no. Um, and at the same time, I was reading a lot of Japanese literature. I was not in manga. I, I was not in anime. Uh, I was more into traditional Japanese literature and, and modern Japanese literature. So where do you think that interest
0: a... came from? Is that, do you think games were responsible for part of that?
1: Absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think there, there were a lot of moments in, in my childhood where I got una- unawarely exposed to Japanese culture, like uh, your, friend, your friend Totoro, uh, Tonari no Totoro, Yeah. Uh, the, the anime. I, I saw it, it was in Polish when i saw it because my father brought it from poland so i always thought it's a polish cartoon but i really loved it uh, right and then i got exposed to uh takeshi kitano's movies uh i, I really loved how a uh, philosophy of life was was presented there uh then i got exposed to like zen buddhism for example so so there were a lot of those very small kind of uh, elements in in my daily life that that there were rooted in japan culture and japanese culture but they were not one stream so i thought okay maybe i should try learning japanese uh, because i didn't know what to do really this this was this yeah. very big frustration of like a, a a kid out of high school who you know didn't know what what he wanted out of life and parents probably thought that i should go to the university right so so i picked a university that would give me a uh, a linguistics degree plus a proficiency japanese in in japanese so uh that that's that's basically was kind of a random choice you know I went there and i was like i i should probably judge by atmosphere and people who were during the open house they they were like pretty friendly so i thought oh, that that's a good place yeah so, so i yeah so i spent a few years there uh and then it didn't work for me
0: <laughs> so you 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 sort of dropped out of university to do design and like web design and stuff so when did that kind of fascination start to um form um well first it was more like i i need pocket money
1: and yeah. i'm probably old enough not to ask my parents for that anymore right so yeah. that was me being 18 17 to 18 like i, I started ma- making first uh commercial websites uh when, when i was probably 18 uh because my, my brand name, the KixMP Design, is almost 10 years, it's like almost 10 years and a half old. Um, so, so very very quickly I realized that, A, that market is, is strongly underserved in Russia, like you could have a, a limelight and, and good position if you would push yourself creatively um, with, with every new client. Um, so that was first. Secondly, I moved out of my parents' house uh, with, with my girlfriend when I was 19, and that uh, also kind of proposed a, a lot of challenges financially as well for me. Yeah. So, so, so I think on one hand it was purely a need, and my my answer to that need was like there's only one thing I know how to do that sells, and that is web and interaction design, because even though I tried really hard to do industrial design, there, there was never really an opportunity to, to capitalize on that. Uh, so I would get all those, you know, design awards and, and a kind of press coverage, but it, it never translated in any financial gains. Um, yeah, which which was very sad. That must be quite frustrating. Of, uh, it, it was. It was. It was very frustrating. So uh, when did
0: you win the? Did you win the awards when you were in university? Was that kind of like part of? No.
1: Yeah, it was. It, it was first. So. I, I, I got my first award 2006, right? So it was first year of university, or second year of university. Okay. Uh, and that's, that was the wake up call for me, right? So I was doing websites already. Um, I was doing university where I was failing some of the uh, of, of the classes, uh, which I think was history of Japan uh, and, and something else. They, they were like really frustrating. I, I remember falling asleep during lectures. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, a Japanese language was not easy for me as well. Um, the, the university program was extremely rushed. Uh, and then uh, and then I got a design award. so I thought, okay, so there's there, there are those two trajectories. one is is moving well, but I'm spending very little time. So probably if I spend more time on it, it would move even better. And then second one takes seventy percent or eighty percent of my life, and it's still failing and it's it's not very promising. So, so I just like I quit. Uh, That's, I mean, I, I'm just.
0: I'm. I'm so super interested. So like the, the design thing was just something you were doing, kind of for fun, almost. Like it wasn't part of your degree.
1: It it was definitely. I absolutely self taught everything. Was. Uh, I, I had and some. And you tendencies. designed the TV
0: and won an award. That, that I don't understand how that happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, well. Yeah. So. So
1: I didn't design an engineering component of it. Right. Uh, but I engineered the the experience. Uh, it, it was a TV integrated in a, in a bookshelf so it, all the I, I did interface for the for the uh, DVD player that would be a part of the shelf So shelf was like those big big cubes kind of squares yeah uh, so w- one of them was the purely wooden decorative thing that you could put books on top and second one was a bit smaller also covered in, in wooden surfaces uh, that would actually be a, a camouflaged DVd player and then the third one which would be a biggest one would be the, the TV frame uh, and, and that was, I, I think Ikea released something like that, like two years ago, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I had this design, uh, almost, almost a decade ago. And, uh, and there were even some samples be, being produced in China for, for that. So it wasn't very massive, uh, massively produced item and it wasn't big brand like Sony or, you know, uh, GVC
0: or anything, but, uh, but but it was a functional tv design um but what sort of um inspired you to do that? that that's what i'm interested in i think that's what i'm missing so so this is this is something that happens when i was six year old uh
1: and i remember it very very sharply so there was this uh a turning point in life where uh my father brought me into a vinyl shop uh and I wasn't in music, neither. Neither I was in, into vinyls, but what they had in that shop, it was mostly vinyls, and the very little CDs. Yeah. But for those, for those very little CDs, just I think just to kind of, to emphasize the uh, the premium atmosphere of the of the retail experience in that shop, they had Bang & Olesen audio system there, uh, the one that would open doors uh, through the infrared sensor. So so if you would if you would move your hand just. In a, in a distance around it, it would glow with this with this warm yellow light and, and the doors would open. And you and it was transparent glass doors and you would see the CD rotating there. It was absolutely beautiful. I was six years old. And I, and I got so excited about that, that I went home and, and all I did for a few months after that would build TVs out of Legos. <laughs> you know, I, I remember I would, I would build a frame out of Legos and then I would take a paper and some batteries hooked up to the, uh, to the mini lamp, you know, like yeah. you could just like uh, solder. So I would put it behind that, uh, the, uh, the paper, so it looked look like, you know, the paper is illuminated from inside.
0: Uh, and and it, would be like
1: a, it would be like a cube. So of course you couldn't change channels or anything, that like it was purely imaginational game, but uh, I was fascinated with it. So I, I would, instead of building like spaceships, or I, I don't know, it was a set for a, a dungeon with skeletons. But I would make, I would make TVs out of it and then some radios. Uh, so so once I got ha- hand on on uh, on three D software like Bryce three D and and uh, AutoCAD and three D Max, I would like instantly jump on it and like let's imagine a TV set, uh, you know, let's imagine a uh, I don't know a radio console or something. And it was just exciting for me. So I would make those and I would publish it and uh, people got excited, but no one else got excited. No one wanted to like pay me to design for them or, and and Russia was in this state where all the uh, small businesses were were very in in infancy and all the big manufacturing facilities like production houses, they were not interested in in building consumer goods. They were just interested in like building, I, I don't know, metal, buckets or for tubes <laughs> yeah, you, know, you know, maybe for like aerospace industries be- because they, they, they were just one brand of, of uh, Russian made TVs and they were terrible. You know, they, they were still be like uh, uh, The non LCD while Sony would already sell LCDs, right? They would be like VC. What is it called the CRT TVs? Yeah, uh, it, it was that bad in terms of, you know, competitiveness so, so of course there was no one who would be like we need an industrial designer to to gain a, a competitive uh, edge they would be like we need to man- make sure how they make them flat <laughs> you know so uh so there's no kind of why. place
0: for you that must have been quite weird then so you're very very much like out of out of place in your in your country kind of thing
1: a- absolutely right so i was like i really want to make those you know physical magical things that that they would inspire other kids. Like I was inspired by Bengen Olufsen, but I, I can't do anything. And then uh, at the same time, what would bring m- bread on the table w- would be interaction design, right? So so slowly, I, I kind of started to understand that that magical component that was in Bengen system does not necessarily have to be physical. Like the manifestation can be completely digital. And uh, I just started to focus on on. Uh, on bringing the the novelty and, and 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 kind of this this very freshness of uh, or the, the sense of wonder in digital experiences, and we were doing flash websites. Uh, we had we had a very uh, high end clients, so so our websites were mostly promotional campaigns with use of three D or or webcams or you know. So it was very experimental. Yeah, uh, al- almost in between interactive piece and the game you know i, I was almost at that ed- edge for for many years
0: <laughs> do you think games inspired any of these kind of um uh, th- any of your sort of design sensibilities
1: absolutely and, and this is what where, where i say that you know the first touch point with games yeah right so so uh so, so so there was a point where i thought games are games and they're fun and this is something that I'm tired of work and uh, I'm going to relax and and kill some people and uh, blow some cars. Yeah. Uh, And and that lasted that that understanding of medium, unfortunately, lasted for quite some time. Uh, So I was already in in maybe in my 20s or like, yeah, I I guess I was in 20s. I I was still thinking games are are that thing, you know, Uh, and then and I was doing design seriously. Right. So I would do. Um, user journeys in in not not of course in the way that I'm doing it right now. as, as like user experience director, but uh, You know st- still kind of understanding what what the user should feel yeah. or what, what kind of what, what should I make possible in in terms of emotional scope, right? and then my my focus in term like there was client demand and and uh, KPIs right and then there was what I wanted to push it towards and That thing was always about either surprise or communicating something without words, you know, we would use Fibonacci-driven uh, animations, and uh, and we would write soundtracks for websites uh, about architecture, for example. You know, everything moved in a in a Fibonacci spiral there, uh, so, because I wanted to communicate harmony. Uh, so, so I was looking for those, you know. Um, for the things that are crossing the medium, where, where literature and, and music and, and uh, movements are intersecting with, with interactions. Yeah. And then, and then I, I got to play Bray. Uh, and then I got to, to hear Jonathan Blow explain Bray. And I, and I was absolutely astonished. I was, like, I was like, oh my God, I've been eating bubblegum for 20 years. And now I understand that, you know, food is not just bubblegum. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, there are vegetables and soups, and and uh, you know, and raw grains, and uh, <laughs> and slowly cooked things, and uh, and I didn't understand that. I, I thought that the medium of food was was that that bubble gum that lacked nutrients, and you know, would probably make you just kind kind of die out of diabetes if you would just keep eating that. Uh, and I understood that not only there is this profound uh, uh, kind of part of industry that that makes. Absolutely amazing games, but I also understood that games is the epitome of interactive mediums So so I started to look at it very differently. I started to look at it in in ways that What could I learn from games to inform my design? Yeah in in terms of why? Certain things work very well in games like gratification loops or state of flow You know know, all, all the concepts that help you digest information or remember things, right? Do you think there was any, so, was there
0: anything specific about Braid or the way Jonathan Blow talked about it that that changed your understanding?
1: So so well, okay. So the way Braid influenced me was probably in two in two ways, right? If we're talking about purely about design process, that definitely Braid is well. You can we can look at Witness. Witness is kind of a, a expansion on on the ideas of Braid, but both games offer. Extremely clear examples for the best practice for design for things like teaching the player to learn new things through exploration rather than holding their hand, yeah. which means that you you remove the component of necessarily explaining things in language, which is really important in interfaces, uh, which means we can apply same principles to, say, ATM machines. <laughs> right uh that means that if if the interface is as clear in an atm machine then you would need you know five languages to, or or 10 languages and the language selector before that yeah. uh so so there's this component there's component of system design that that jonathan always uses it, and he always talks about it and then so he builds this foundation for experiences and he he gives you a an easy path to understand that foundation. And then he starts building on that foundation, allowing you to explore and come yourself to the conclusions of what that foundation could mean. Now he never jeopardizes the foundation itself. So, so there's always a safe zone, right? You never feel that the game, you know, fucks you over in, yeah. in, in a way, right? That, that that it's cheating on you or, or something. So you know that this is definitely solvable and, I have all the the apparatus for it already, I just need to figure out how to use it. Uh, which, which again, that it, it is not a, a game design thing, it's purely human design thing, right? So, so, so I think so Braid has a lot of those that, that fundamentally inform any designer, You know, from uh, proper balance of composition. It, it, it is beautiful example of how other mediums like typography or or proper graphic design should inform game design and vice versa. Uh, so, so that's one layer. And another layer is, is of course, ethical you know, component about intrinsic value of games, uh, which which I never understood properly before. Right? I don't, uh, as I what, say. what do you mean by that? Um, well, the reason I say the games for me were, were like bubblegum, I never felt that I am receiving anything from game. Right, okay. okay. Uh, yeah, so, so, so I, I always felt that the gratification that I felt in terms of excitement was the only thing that game could provide. So I, I never had a higher demand for that, right? So if you're only exposed to, to bubble gums, you only can demand different flavors yeah. and maybe colors, right? So, so that was me. There was like, I want a juicier thing. So when Voodoo uh, came and uh, 3D FX came, right? You'd be like, I want games that support Voodoo graphics. And then I want, so sorry, I I don't want 2.5 games anymore. I I want 3D games. And then I want 3D games when I can blow walls. So, like Red Faction, right? Uh, But there was never, you know, it it was um, not a quality improvement. No, no, no. it It was quantitative improvement. It was always quantitative improvement of the medium that i was familiar with so my demands were also about that uh, and and then when i understood braid i i felt those things like how my brain would learn certain mechanics and then how there would be next level where my brain have to relearn it and that would cause certain subconscious reaction which in itself is the sense of newness and it's, it's like qualia i guess what what philosophers would call it right so so it's it's a new sensation that, that I would feel just because the game is trying so hard to, to be that meaningful object for me. Uh, or, like, maybe object is not a proper word, that, that, that meaningful kind of environment. Or, yeah. Um, right. So, so then I, I looked back and, and I thought, I cannot justify spending two hours of my time blowing heads up. I would rather watch a movie that that te- tells me more about human condition or, uh, you know, difficult situations that I otherwise cannot, you know, feel empathy yeah. towards because I'm not exposed to in, in real life.
0: So how did this affect your, your design? And we'll get into the games then. Um, so, so I, I think... I started to think
1: of design because I'm doing interfaces and, and user experience. And yeah. um, so far, even though I, we, we are moving towards like interface-free future where you can talk in human language to, to machine, and uh, a machine probably not only can understand you, but it can, can feel empathy to, to your goals or uh, immediate needs. Right. Uh, so far, we're, we're still using um, abstractions in, in order to control information. Uh, and I was mostly informed by graphical design first. So, so, you know, I would take typography and, and graphical design principles and apply them to the interactive space, which, which would possess some challenges, but was, was a proper process anyway, because you, you do need to, to have, um, th- those things that usually inform good graphic design, right? They, yeah. they are in good interaction design as well. Uh, but once I start to, to tap upon human emotion, uh, I originally went to movies and literature to, to see, you know, how tropes are used uh, and what, what are usually the tool set for, you know, the tension curve, uh, in the beginning and at the end, you know, you know, how, how can you elevate, uh, an experience at the end to, to make it more gratifying maybe, or, or to express progress or, uh, but but then of course I, I start to look at games as as design items and and i realized that you know there's there so much cross pollination there right like i mentioned sense of progress it's just it's it's pretty much endless <laughs> uh discussion if 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 we go into details but i guess i would i would dissect experience and i would say okay, okay. so so this is a non game experience that i am right now building uh but there is a, there is a challenging part uh, where uh, we ask a user to, to perform a lot of uh, manual tasks that p- partially could be challenging. Uh, that would mean that we need a state of flow, right? A, a state of flow would be ideal in that sense. Uh, so, so then how do I bring the state of flow? So may- maybe I, I make it slightly uh, gamified, but not in, in a way where it's, it's this terrible gamification that you know just drives kind of a, a habit formation. Okay. Uh, w- w- right? But but maybe I make uh previous steps more fun, so so that you you feel almost like subconsciously you feel like it's a game. Consciously you're you're still doing like a, a, a sign up flow for a credit card or something, right? Yeah. Uh, and then when the most challenging part comes in, because you've seen something before, uh, and you've solved some of those challenges and you made some of those choices, uh, first first of all we reward you for for making them and say hey well, well that's really great job. You you know you passed those stages and. Uh, you, you chose this and this and this and well, now let's just reconfirm and, uh, it, it's going to be a bit tedious, but it's, it's going to be fun at the end. So, so we kind of, we establish a dialogue, we we establish human connection there. Um, and, and, and we're trying to make it not necessarily fun because some things are not meant to be fun, but we're making them engaging, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, elevating f- pain and frustration. So that's, that's how I, I'm working, uh, Every time i am building something new have you got an I example
0: just, like uh, what how would that process work in practice the
1: design process you mean or, or just
0: a, the just uh, a, like i i i mean i I understand what you're talking about but just as a as an abstraction of of this idea like have you got an example of how you how you have or or would use some kind of game mechanic to try and make design a bit better like how would you reward somebody for going through a form you know
1: right so well um, maybe not a, a very concrete example because uh, those those game elements they, they become kind of a, a small part right so, okay. so let's say uh, if collecting something uh, on a website like uh, l- like a scavenger hunt perception of uh, accumulating your best experiences I, I think this is a good example right okay uh, like building any any sort of uh, collection of experiences on uh, on a travel website, or or even on a on a site like like Twitter, where you would you would highlight and like your favorite tweets, and that would for you, or you would follow in people you you want to be informed from, right? That that forms your collection of 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 kind of informational sources okay right? so so if, so if i look at the uh, at the twitter design the, the way it's done is that hey there there's like all those fun things and uh, if if you pick them first then they become interactive like you can retweet them or maybe you can talk to that person uh, but but originally it, it's all just very very plain right so the, before you collect those people in in your basket you can't really interact with them right and then those items in your baskets. Th- this is almost, almost like a, a, a Lego element, which which is I, I would also say, uh, this is di- this is deeply interactive and and almost play like is when people you follow talk to each other because they have mutual interests. So you see those conversations, right? Yeah. Because if you follow only one person, you don't see the conversation. Usually, you only see their official tweet. I, I, I think it's, it's that's the way it's designed, right? So but if you follow both of them, you would see their dialogue. Uh, th- that is almost like having blocks that don't light up until you connect them together.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Right? So, so,
1: so, so I, I, and it's it's well communicated in the interface. So, uh, I, I I think the having this this kind of a big big tool that everyone uses or or a big uh, social media uh, app avenue like twitter is maybe easily digestible example rather than you know telling me uh, me telling you how the the banking system uh, is
0: working yeah. um okay so yeah let's try a couple of uh, quick fire questions so escall um what game are you best at
1: yeah that, that's a hard one uh, cause, yeah cuz i i saw your question list i i could never pick one
0: uh are you that good I-
1: <laughs> uh, no it's 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 really, i think gt i do remember right, uh, uh winning uh land land kind of uh not tournaments but like not non-officially organized tournaments in either uh gta 2 uh or quake 2 i mean in both of those sometimes i would score pretty high so i guess i guess it would be those two
0: are you are you are you a competitive gamer
1: Um, No, I I actually I don't play multiplayer games right now and for last my maybe five six years I haven't played any single multiplayer game except for like hot seat, you know uh, like bro force right Uh, except for that and um, Not really I I do enjoy some some mobile games where you can submit scores uh, uh, But but not 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 that much
0: Okay um what was if 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 you're inclined to do such a thing what was your your worst rage quit
1: Um that that would be something uh like I guess again something from old games where just maybe, maybe the 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 difficulty curve was not very well done in the game yeah. uh, I guess Dels Dels X was was very hard for me to play the first one uh and then, um, hmm. I I guess the I just so so I'm not sure. I, I remember I was very disappointed in like the uh, command and conquer games after the Red Alert 2 and Tiberian Sun. You know, all those that started using 3D engine. I was just pissed, not like at difficulty, but how how they ruined the game. Yeah. <laughs> so, so so that that was like I would delete that.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um what game if you if, i mean i i think this is the hardest thing for a game to do what game has made you laugh
1: um stand this parable
0: yeah that yeah absolutely
1: that there was a, 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 and and then the uh the uh the heist the the cursed emerald yeah it was also very i absolutely love those two um I think I love I love deeply inside in uh, at Thomas was alone. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the humor is fantastic there. I didn't laugh like under the table. Broforce, however, was this kind of uh, primeval laughter. You know, <laughs> like that, that game was so funny. Like to to lose to, to just die out of your own like rocket jump attempt <laughs> or something. Uh, that, that was a was very happy experience as well.
0: I really, really enjoyed Broforce. I wasn't expecting anything from it, but I thought it was brilliant. I, I remember I got like so
1: um, interested in the editor that, that I noticed. That I spent like three days in a row building giant UFO, UFO like uh, uh, out of you know concrete blocks. Of course, I would just make them into UFO shape <laughs> as if it's landed, <laughs> and then I would co- cover it all in fire because you, you know the UFO crash landing supposed to be covered in fire, and they would completely uh, kill the game engine, <laughs> so I, I couldn't play my own level. And then I, I, I maybe it was a, a mini rage quick. I spent three days and like I was like I need more fire here. And then it's just it's super slow. And I'm like ah fuck it.
0: I saw actually there was a thing I, I saw the other day that a girl um, has spent the last like at least a year I think, which is crazy, covering an entire map in Minecraft with TNT. So just going block wow. by block. And so she's, you can see on her map, there's like two thirds of it now is just red from all the dynamite. <laughs> and I'm really hoping that it works and that when she tries to, to set it off, it just crashes, which would be so right, disappointing. Right. Um, but she, can, she, she can maybe imagine the explosion of a server or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, somewhere off in Sweden. Um, okay, so y- you made this sort of decision to start trying to explore games and, and make games. So, how, how was that?
1: So, okay, it first began in 2009, and uh, so there was, there was an attempt in 2008, where my best friend said, So there was, I think, maybe I just played Braid, or I, I was about to play Braid or something. Uh, uh, and he's still I, in I, Russia I for
0: this whole time, yeah?
1: Yeah, so I moved out of Russia five years and a half ago, or six years ago.
0: Okay. So there was a bit
1: of like, uh, I moved out in To Singapore for half a year in 2009, then 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 to Italy for half a year, then back to Russia for a year. I did a big design project where I was like uh, a part-time art director, and then I moved to Italy to do my master's degree in in design. So my 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 first formal education in design is master's degree, (laughs) which (laughs) is fascinating, right? Italy, Uh, Domus Academy, and and I went for industrial design for furniture in in Milan in in Milan in Milan. Yeah. So, so there would be taught in English with interpreter, uh, or like, like maybe 30% of lectures would be speaking English and then 70% would require a, a simultaneous translation from, from an interpreter. So you'd be listening in headphones. Okay. Um, and, and that was, so master's degree, very flexible, They're very big, right? So you'd get all parts of design through the course. There was five mini projects that would touch on like, your interaction design, your graphic design, your your industrial uh, design for production design, right? Uh, and then and then you would be you'd have a thesis, which, which would still need to be kind of an industrial design, uh, with, with all those kind of um, first five being plugged into in, in a way that they were supposed to inform you of the best practices, okay. right? Uh, I, I did that intentionally because i was already working in digital for like eight years and i thought that in order to make better digital experience for humans i want to focus for a year on analog physical experiences i want to know what is that so good about best furniture designs you know what is that that makes you connect with like philip star juicer uh, or, or you know, the the why why is that the metal keys on ATM make you feel safer than the plastic keys? It, it, things like that. And then I, I would bring them back. That to is the so interesting.
0: I never even thought about that before. The, I, the, I, I, the I, different I, I, keys on an ATM. That would totally. I would never trust the plastic keys.
1: Right, right, right. So, and and this is goes like subconscious bias, right? Perception biases. And I knew I want to research that, but I, I thought. So, so, but at that point, like eight years in design practice or so, but probably not. Probably like more like five years, because because I'm four years in Singapore. So it was five years in design. Uh, I realized that I need to bring those understandings. You know, like I had linguistics background, so I I knew about psychology, right? Uh, I knew about um, perception biases and, and things like that. Like why the thing for free is is, is always uh, not not as interesting as like zero ninety nine, or uh, why why is the uh, Two, two glasses of wine poured from the same bottle but sold at different prices, taste differently, right? Uh, so, so, so I knew those things exist and they work, but I wanted to know more and I wanted to have a structure in in my mind that would let me use those as a design tool, right? On top of other tools that I use for interactivity, yeah. on top of like other tools that I use for ethical design after you know all, all the inspiration from Jonathan Blow. So, so for me it's like those, those there are multiple kind of layers of uh, toolkit yeah and I have I even have this article called five five design tools for the human condition I, I, it kind of summarizes it uh, so th- that's why I went for industrial design and uh, before that I had this intention like I want to make a game yeah but I don't know what you know and that was a mistake and I, I talked to my best friend and, and he was like older much more wiser guy you know at that point and he still is like he's he's always this kind of a a, a life tutor to me and okay. he said we, we can't make a good game just because we want to make a game and i'm like no it's gonna be awesome it's a game and so so we came up with this idea it's a it's a tree but it's almost like a, a penis and you know you rub it and it grows <laughs> <laughs> and and you know and there's somewhere in the sky it's a cloud but so it's also a vagina right so That didn't work in in, (laughs) in many ways.
0: That's quite a bold uh, first game to attempt.
1: Right, right. It's it's like right away, right? Uh, So, and it was a a, a big departure from those games that I made on C, which was de facto, right? Right. So that failed. Then we had another game, and it was 2009. I was doing my master's, and I had three times. So I did two projects. I did a smartwatch design concept that got super popular. And all the, uh, like, lifestyle media, like MocoLoco or uh, Fastco company uh, or, like, USA Today wrote about it. So, yeah, so, so you know, like, I, I got a paper print of, of USA Today about that that watch. In,
0: where I've seen photos guys, of the watch. It looks great.
1: Right? Uh, so, so that was pure concept. The one with Fireflies, there was just a, a mock-up. And the one was before that, the UniWatch, it was the, the watch I spent all my savings to engineer and then, Financial crisis happened and uh, we never produced it
0: so I spent like
1: yeah all my savings. I had like $30,000 and I spent 25 I paid uh, engineers from MIT like there were a couple graduates from MIT that I found they built that thing and then a financial crisis happened no one wanted to uh, in, invest in it in production uh, all the people who said let's make it before they, they were now saying that we were broke uh, so, so I spent all the, the remaining five thousand dollars to apply for German design awards again, and I got it again <laughs> <laughs> but, but but at that time I knew that I'm broke and uh, that that watch will never go in production So there was two things the the fireflies watch what I did uh, while doing masters and a game called life on a ball and that was idea of we have a narrative-driven thing, which is not like narrative, but a a metaphor about life. How life is meaningless, and you know it's almost like you you stand on the ball, try trying balancing on it, and uh, uh, you get old, you know. And but you try so hard that it takes all your life, and all you do is you balance on that wall, and it, it's kind of a, a it, it's a conundrum of existence of of human existence when you know animals are no longer trying to hunt you down, so you like. What, what is that it, this whole thing for actually right and yeah. I feel that society society puts me on this on this ball? Where like 90% of my life is covering my existential expenses, right? And, and now I now can just and then there's some challenges like flying birds and I need to jump over it And sometimes there's like a giant monster that comes out and try tries to eat you So and, and all you do is balancing on the ball. Uh, there was very beautifully uh, illustrated game so so my ex wife illustrated it back then we were just dating and it, it was fantastic art and i think it was a good idea because later there was this game on ios with exactly same game mechanics and i think they made a couple hundred thousand dollars <laughs> in sales um so now you, we, you must we, you
0: must admit that 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 whole um the whole concept of that game seems very much like it's come from a place of a man who's just lost all of his savings invested in a watch. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I think it's it's the subconscious uh, Absolutely, burnout, yeah, right. Uh, which which kind of yeah, I, I definitely have that thing, uh, and, and it kind of penetrates all, all my design practice in a way. Uh, so so what was wrong with that game is that we built it in a in a, in a bad 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 way. We we used. First, we used Flash, and it completely, like, fuck us over, right? Because uh, that was bad for building for iOS. It was that first time when, like, you can build games on Adobe Flash, but yeah, it, it's going to be really hard, but let's try. And Adobe keep, kept promising that it's going to get easier next week, right? But it would get harder every every day. Um, Poor Flash. And because we... Yes, <laughs> like Adobe Air plus Flash, because we were doing websites for, on Flash for six years, right, yeah. in a row, or seven. So it was like, that's our comfort zone. Let's just make game out of it. So we we killed it halfway, and we were like, let's make it on Cocos 3D. And that was even worse. So we released it, and I remember one one review was... This is the worst game I've ever played in my life. Someone, someone wrote on, on iOS. And, uh, and that's it. I, I think like 50 p- people maybe downloaded it. And it was very <laughs> sad. Uh, and, and then there was a pause. But you weren't, you weren't put off though, clearly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so I, I took a pause to focus on commercial projects. And then I was like, uh, I have an idea in mind which I want to show to people right and and then and it was a design idea it was an experience idea not a game idea it was like i want to show how a touch device could be physical to just you know expand on my many years of research of human condition and interfaces the bridging gap between digital and human right i was like one part of it is that right in front of me i have that idea now is that how i can make a touch screen Device like an iPhone or, or or Android phone, being really physical, so I can pass it to the kid, and he would never guess that this thing is a digital device. Instead, he would interact, learn to interact, and be surprised with it exactly as if he would be with physical blocks or mm-hmm. you know wooden blocks. And that was shapeish. And it's later than we decided that okay, in order to fulfill that experience to make a proper f- platform and system for that experience to happen it should be a game and then if it's a game it's a block sliding game and if it's a block sliding game it's this game that starts as simple blocks and then you start getting magnets and springs and you know uh, blocks that you can change the shape of and that that's how shape is happened and i got so uh i guess both burnt and, and and satisfied by the process uh and by the results that i couldn't stop and i'm like okay so from now on if i have a small experience in mind or a small
0: idea for for system design i will try to make it into a game and how how has shapis gone you were talking you mentioned at the start of the show about how so there's, there's something Shapist- that's happened on the google play store
1: yeah, so, so Shapys was released exactly two years ago. So first as I, I, iPad uh, exclusive, okay, because we we were just using Unity. And now the the way, so I stopped taking commercial clients anymore uh, under Kix&P Design. So so I'm a I'm a UX design director at Law Profero, and this is a global company, six six thousand people I think, uh, fourteen offices, and and huge clients, right? So. Uh, and, and we're part of a, of a even bigger umbrella called I, IPG. So that, that would be, uh, you know, uh, companies that cover brands like Unilever or, or Harley yeah. Davidson, uh, you know. So uh, I, absolutely, in order to, to both elevate my pain of talking to clients and selling designs, uh, and, and secondly, to, you know, eliminate any possibilities for a conflict of interests, uh, I don't take commercial designs. Uh so, so I kept the design, the, the brand name, Kicks and P Design, uh, and what I do now is that if I have a game idea, I would find a developer, and we would agree on on profit-share model. So all the games I make are, are actually collaborations with different people. So so we have like three games. One is released, it's shapeless, and then two are upcoming, and they're with three different developers. Each game is with a different guy, and it's kind of a different story. Uh, for for me they're very very tight together because they're all you know um, built upon how I understood the best practices from Jonathan Blow and uh, plus what I'm interested in building yeah. right. Uh, but but Shapist was first released because the, my my uh, my partner and developer of Shapist. Uh, uh, he was new to unity relatively he he knew how to do some things but of course he didn't knew how to do magnetic blocks or whatever Yeah, so it had performance issues. So we released first on iPad We got press coverage, but we got I think 200 downloads That's it uh, not thousand 200 two not 200 thousands but 200 200 yeah. people downloaded it. It was premium it, it had good good ratings, but no one featured us nothing. You know, we we went to Amsterdam to casual connect we were nominated and it was like wow because there were like there was Metrico there you know <laughs> yeah. you know Metrico was Metrico was like three meters away from me there were like amazing games there and i'm like wow and i'm like nominated among those people and and then uh you know i gave a couple of interviews and touch arcade wrote about us but it was very very miserable so we made it
0: i'm sure that experience is much more common than the the other side of it i'm sure there is countless more people that have had that experience of even like you know getting praise and press and then absolutely doing nothing numbers wise
1: i i think yes I, and i think we we never see them really i know i know
0: this they, is i've i've talked to people i've talked to people about this on the show before but th- this is my concern is that there are potentially absolutely amazing games that i will just never hear about i, I know that.
1: I would say ending. Just uh, whoever listens to it, go Google it and download it. It's it's an amazing game. game it's like ending. It, yeah, it's called Ending, and it's um so it's it's a black and white game that looks like a a, a minim, minimalist chess. Okay. Just so that because because ending is really hard to to Google as a word because <laughs> it's yeah. ubiquitous, right? So if you see that, it's profoundly awesome. Like if you like uh, um, uh, Snake Bird, you know, if you like other uh, awesome puzzle games, Ending is absolutely brilliant so so that's a, just a that's a plugola <laughs> right there i'm gonna check uh, I, I didn't make it but but i i was really i was deeply uh, impressed so we i had this we had this experience we released game for free later with paywall after 15th level okay. which took a lot of like should we give up or should we do it and like i'm fucking tired of it and like you know nothing works and and <laughs> so so you know you convince yourself into doing it and then you get Physical bugs or just you know engine bugs, and you're like, damn it, it fucking hates me, and uh, it, it was really really painful. And I would fly like Bit Summit, and you know, not only game did not sell, it it also was minus. in not only in time, I don't I don't even count it as in like uh, non-received profits, right? But but I also counted it in live, live cash <laughs> that yeah. was spent, and it it was, it was it was difficult. Uh, it was it was very difficult. So. It got released two years ago, uh, and it, it, it earned maybe maybe uh, maybe three or like maybe five thousand dollars in in revenue on both platforms plus Windows Mobile. Uh, Windows Mobile, we we were featured by Microsoft three months in a row, and we only sold three hundred dollars worth of of, of games <laughs> you know there was there was windows experience uh but we tried we tried hard to get it everywhere I, I you know i would make those beautiful websites for it and we would apply for web design awards just to drive traffic yeah because we didn't know what to do if you don't get featured you're just absolutely fucked <laughs> you know so so we, we would try every single thing i would physically sell the game like i would go bit summit and i'm like do you want to buy a game? I uh, you know, if you give me a dollar, I'll unlock all levels for you, or something <laughs> like. Or, or no, literally, there would be people at Bit Summit. There was one guy who didn't have iOS, and Android was still a few weeks in in the pipeline. And he was like, "I want to play," and he would stay with us at the booth playing on my iPad, for for two days in a row. And then he beat whole game, and I bought him a I, I bought him a cake to celebrate. <laughs> it. Uh, but but there were a few more people who like who would show me that they just bought a game. And I, I would write to, to Dimitri, to, to the developer, and I would be like, hey, man, I just sold two copies, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which was ridiculous, right? Um, so a year ago, I got hit by a truck. Uh, oh, no. Just, yeah, at, at 4 a.m., like, it was bad, bad luck, bad, bad timing. Everything was bad. And, uh, were you okay? Going I'm to assuming McDonald's you were okay. Yeah, well, I got hospitalized. And the, the thing is that uh, in Singapore, if you're not insured and if you're not a citizen, you're really badly fucked on, on you know, there's no universal health care. You, you'll be like drained, uh, sucked dry. So like one night in the hospital, a couple stitches on the head with nothing broken, uh, just an MRI is around four thousand dollars, which is two thousand pounds. Uh, oh I, I don't know if it's fine for like maybe in USA if you're not insured maybe that's what you pay but I mean I, that's, definitely, that's crazy like,
0: that you even the thought because I'm very lucky to have grown up with the NHS so I don't that's never been a thought in my mind that I'd have to pay for getting hit by a truck <laughs> like as if your so, day so, wasn't going badly enough now we're going to take yes, a bunch of money from you
1: right it, it was it was terrible and I was uh I was in this kind of case where I, I just got divorced and I I got like I had a, a bank loan to to, to cover all the expenses, and I was in between jobs, like
0: full-time jobs. That's a really so poor run of luck. I,
1: I just completely zeroed out one of my credit cards when I saw that number. I was th- I was thinking, I, I didn't they didn't ask me if I want MRI for like $2,000, and they, <laughs> they didn't ask me if I want a bed for another $1,000, you know? So I was like, maybe I just like, say I, I go to the toilet and I just walk away, but I, I probably saw all in computer systems, so, you know, Uh, So so I come back home, kind of like, uh, you you know, not in a good physical condition, uh, kind of broke. And I'm like, I I wonder, am I getting like 50 bucks in revenue from Shapers this month? Because (laughs) that was around what it was bringing. And I see this spike on iTunes and I'm like, oh, that's a glitch. And no, so exactly, uh, so the harder you get hit by the, the car... The the bigger your numbers go basically. That's the that I apparently that's how it works (laughs) Right so exactly same day Someone did let's play on YouTube and it wasn't like uh, PewDiePie But it was it was a million views and we sold exactly for the same like we 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 got three thousand dollars in a week
0: That's Uh, crazy
1: from exactly so so I, I And got, that was
0: just chance that those two things happened like, on the same it, thing.
1: It, it almost fully paid for my for my hospital bill. <laughs> and after that after that it narrowed down back to fifty. Uh, and all that time we had fantastic reviews. Five stars, I love this game, it's the smartest puzzle, you know, like blah, 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 blah. Uh, and, and it was very I was very happy. I was just thinking I don't know what to do because I made a good game, but it, it didn't get publicity, you know? Yeah. And then two years after, right at, at, on the kind of a, a shapest uh, universal release, which is when, when, when it went out on Android anniversary, uh, Google featured us in, in this uh, you know, new, new and updated games or like new and best games. Uh, you still had to scroll, but there are only 20 games a week that get, get into that list. Yeah. And um, we got, uh, I think we got like 100,000 downloads. Uh, in, in a week, which for me was surprisingly low. So, so I thought that whatever you put there, even if like you forgot your icon and your name is unreadable yeah. and uh, there is no description, people just fucking click there because <laughs> uh, you you know it's it's Android, and you you would get a million downloads just like everything. And then then of course you know you have to filter them down, and they will be like, oh, it's a puzzle game, you know, screw that. But apparently, it's only hundred thousand downloads. And apparently, if your game asks for money, uh, you are a, you know a, a kind of a, a disgrace to human race, <laughs> and, right? Because uh, I, I I understand now you should make a good game, and then you should go knock on the doors of those people who download them and, and like please them maybe either sexually or give them money. I think maybe <laughs> that's the expectation. Because what was we got so many one-star rating reviews. And they were all, you know, they were I, there were t- only two types of them. One type would be it's really interesting, innovative game. Unfortunately, they ask for money in mid, mid mid game, so I give them one star. To me, it's it's a contradiction in one sentence. You know, yeah, I, I don't understand if why would you rate it then? Then like give like if somehow. A price affects quality perception for you in games, which is already broken, uh, a broken understanding. Th- then, well, if somehow that happens, give it three stars. If you think it's a good game, but the price sucks, right? Then it should counterbalance each other, right? Uh, in my understanding, it should not affect the score because uh, c- you're, you're you're rating the game, not the price. But then there was second category of people who just gave us one star because the game asked for money. Uh, and, and then the same week, uh, same week... I don't understand uh, why
0: why someone like I understand someone being like, "Oh, they're asking to pay. I'm not going to play anymore." But I don't like why then would you write a review? I, I, yeah, I, I just I don't got, understand that mentality at all.
1: I, I, I absolutely. I'm really. I'm really frustrated. And uh, and then I went to uh, to iTunes to to download uh, to just give more money to. You, you know to the to the snake bird because I downloaded I bought it on steam first So I was like oh, I need I need to give more money through now now through iOS and at First I bought it and then I'm like I want to see how people review that and I I want to give it five stars and I go there and it, First of all, they have same monetization model as shapers, you know, yeah Yeah, you play for free few levels and then you have a paywall and I see same comments exactly same one star rating on iTunes and like Worst game, those fuckers ask for money. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> you, you know, uh, I'm still I'm still really puzzled. I, I don't think this is right. I, I don't think this is uh, this is a delusional perception of medium in 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 the eye of of a, of a human who first, I think, got used to bubblegum and then got used to free bubblegum. So when they're given a the veggie, they're like, ah, this is not a bubblegum, but okay. But oh my God, it, it costs money. <laughs> what? <laughs> you, you know, I, I've been eating bubblegum for free. What the fuck is this, right? So I, I think that's what happens. And uh, for me, it's, it's really sad because I do love mobile. I love a small interactive experience that is tied to something that you hold close. I really love small world Like you know, you look at Monument Valley. That, that thing is absolutely perfect on mobile. Yeah. Because it's like a dollhouse, right? It's it's like a physically designed dollhouse. Again, it's the same principle. A, a kid who knows how to move, you know, his fingers and, and play with physical dollhouse would be able to solve Monument Valley. Yeah. And and, and so so there's so much potential on those small screens. And then there's so much of a broken system in distribution that it's it's really scary, and it's scary because our next games are are you know they're built upon Shapist in a way, and that's uh, yeah, but but that's the story of Shapers. That's like two years in uh, in hindsight, and then kind of in post you know post mortem. So what what are the games that you've got coming out now? So I have two games uh, with two different developers, as I said. One is called Corey uh, Corey, and that that is me trying to uh, make uh, it's, it's something that feels familiar to, to people who played uh, Kirby's Dreamland, for example. So I want very childish, warm game that, that is like a fairy tale, like a magical world that lives in a Game Boy. You know, and, and, and in, your case, in our case, it would live in, a, in your phone. Right. And you play a caterpillar. But, but then it's a hungry caterpillar that eats a leaf. Right. And then this overlaid with two layers. Uh, One is a game design layer where it it is still a game with intrinsic value in terms of puzzles and uh, having a roguelike component to it uh, and having surprises as a, a, uh, you know, as a as a reward in itself. Yeah. Uh, Having and and then having like uh, mechanics that that can kind of provoke you to question what you've just learned but do not uh, as i said sabotage the main foundation right yeah. uh, uh, and i i think this game is is slightly unique some people say it's like Throne. some people say it's like snake but so so your caterpillar there's like a tail it never extends uh but but you cut you pre-cut the leaf so if you if you would Uh, If you would loop your own path, uh, you would fall, you know, and the leaf gets uh, gets cut That that thing kind of falls into the ground together with you and enemies and everything else Uh, So you're not you're not supposed to kind of cut holes in there But there are other caterpillars and then there's also a hidden narrative layer about consumption and uh, you know Sacrificing love and relationship uh, pursuing goals that you don't even understand why you're pursuing Right, Uh, just because you were born into in the land of like moving forward and uh, like chewing leaf. Yeah. Uh, So so that's that's this game is taking some time and it it already (laughs) already delivered healthy portions of 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 burnout. And then second game that I'm really excited about is Tolnum and this is a successor to Shapist, and uh, it's a number puzzle.
0: It's very beautiful as well. It's like you sent the video over. It it. It looks so good.
1: Yeah, I sent you a video from GDC, right? Uh, yeah. So, well, unfortunately we were at GDC, but we were at, at, at the Singapore Pavilion, which were like uh, a, a worse place to show your games, because okay. it was like for, for business communication, where you would like maybe outsource development to Singapore, so no press was there. Uh, I just like one, two k- k- kind of press reps were there because we we got we invited them, but it wasn't like the indie corner or, or anything where you would see a Stanley Parable, or like that, that dragon cancer, you, yeah. you know. Um, uh, so, 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 so we're kind of working on on doing proper PR, and I'm trying really hard to, uh, to juggle everything, right? That that is non-development, right? Like from writing devlogs to talking to press to and to this is your full-time
0: job at the minute, either. So,
1: yeah, yeah. So, so I I do have like nine to six uh, UX director jobs. and and then all the evenings is is now it's kind of tolnam and Corey Corey. Uh, so it's a puzzle game, and I would say just to be very quick, I, I'd say that Shapist was about um uh, translating your perception of uh, abstraction of, of, of the interactive piece uh, where a block on the screen, even though it was an abstraction, felt exactly like a block in real life would feel, right So it was an experiment about uh, bridging the gap between physical interaction with with the touch device, uh, information and gameplay right uh, while Tolnom, is, is an experiment that goes much deeper. It's an experiment of perception, where uh, I want to experiment of how you perceive numbers that you see uh, on the screen. And then you could tell the game saying, well, I actually think that I can add those three numbers together. And for me, they make sense as, as a one. So you would communicate it through interface and then game would accept that, uh, which allows for, I, I, I think, a very, very free um, ability to choose your strategy because uh, fundamentally Totem is a match matching game where you need to match game, game, numbers like in a game of threes. You know, you match two yeah. and two and, and then four and four uh, and then some families change. So you start getting not just four, two and eight, but you also get six. Uh, but what we allow you to do is to look at numbers in different angle and, and maybe divide them. Because the viewport changes, so that that is a, as a visual perception uh, play, is a play around visual perception. O- almost like uh, you know, witness goes for dimension for a reason and not for the gimmick. Yeah. Uh, uh, b- because if it was for the gimmick, it would be basically a kind of a just 2D puzzles in 3D world, but it's not. The world is, is actually a part of the, of the 2D puzzles. So same, same, same way in Totenham, uh, even though the, the, the foundational system is in 2D and it's just numbers in a stack, there is a third perception, a third, a third dimension to play around with, with the perception of, uh, of what you can see. And then there is a fourth dimension, which is purely just in your mind, of how you see numbers, how you see number pairs, and then you communicate it through interface. So, so I'm really happy about it in terms of design. I'm really frustrated in terms of distribution.
0: <laughs> Why is that frustrating? Uh, uh,
1: because I, even though I'm trying to do everything I can, uh, I, I found five artists globally, uh, one artist in, in every country, who agreed to participate uh, in a revenue share model. So on top of making it, I think, a very fun and entertaining game based on all the play tests we did, at GDC, at, uh, uh, at Bit Summit this year. People love the game, right? Uh, on top of that, I, I made it into a platform where people can collaborate. We do not limit how they would make an art. Then we help them code that art in, because some people say, I want an animated background. And some people say, I want a, a 3D models instead of uh, like just, just a pure number of blocks. I want blocks with noses and, and, and ears. So we, we allow that, uh, hoping that that would help us spread the word in those five countries. On top of my efforts in PR, yeah, and th- that's and that's why we're sharing profits with, with everyone. Uh, but you see, if we're not getting promoted, even if I release the game for free, uh, our hopes are at best is around fifteen thousand downloads. And if that would be a free game, let's say ad supported. Uh, and there's another problem with that because it's a meaningful puzzle game. You don't die every second, right? Yeah. <laughs> so so there's uh, there's a very little chance for me to plug in a, a, an ad. And I would never plug an, e- an ad that would uh, intervene with the, with the flow, you know, with the state of flow. That means that I can only show ads when you die. Uh, so, you know, we're talking about earning uh, potentially very little, like maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars instead of uh, uh, hun- just hundreds of dollars instead of uh, at least thousands of dollars. Yeah. And, and probably also not reaching to the wider audience, just because I, I don't see any potential uh, solution for the distribution, right? We would do cross, uh, cross-platform, cross we would promote the hell out of it uh, with, with what we can. I probably would start buying uh, Facebook placements as well, you know, with, with
0: some small cash, but uh, it, it's just really frustrating. But you do sound very passionate about it. You do sound like you, you... I mean, you clearly you must be to be putting so much effort into it. Like, it does seem like a very real love of the medium.
1: Well, in terms of, uh, like, hours, I put all my free time, and I, I definitely cover all my travel expenses, uh, you know, GDCs and then Japan and uh, Casual Connect, Amsterdam, and, and all that pretty much never paid for itself through the game. Uh, so, so that was just like, you know, if I don't go there... A few few hundred people less will see the game.
0: Yeah. I think we've covered all sorts of good stuff. Is there anything that, that hasn't come up that you wanted to mention? It was great pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. I will um I'll I'll drop you a mail or something.